Welcome back to Gonzo Film Reviews for a catch-up episode. Today we have some exciting newish, oldish releases that I've seen recently. Puss in Boots and Babylon. I saw this both last Christmas. I've had time to write up some reviews on them over January. And the wonderful time of year for the Oscars to ruin everybody's fun that they had for the past year at the movies by nominating everything nobody cares about and not watching everything that everybody cares about and by looking at the money makers over the uh, best films so it'll be fun to break down what they nominated how stupid the nominations are and then go over a list of what should have been nominated and why it should have been nominated but starting out there are a few announcements. Um, there's going to be a lot of catch-up to do over the next couple of episodes I'm going to do here. I have some old reviews that I still need to finish up that I promise. So I'm going to review the entire season of the first Lord of the Rings show from Amazon from last year. There's a good reason why I haven't, but that will be coming soon. And then next up... Uh, I don't feel the need to finish a Game of Thrones review. Honestly, I might wait for a couple more seasons of House of the Dragon to come out before I really worry about that and just kind of review it as a whole. Additionally, um, I was very interested in reviewing Vox Machina, the new animated show, because it's been the seasons have been coming out so quickly. I feel like it's justified now. Season 2 is pretty well on the way towards its conclusion already because every Friday um, they drop three more episodes at a time so as of today I've seen most of season two so I was thinking once season two is done I can lump them together just review the first two seasons of that and uh, see if it's worth it and then coming up in March we're gonna have a cocaine bear review we're going to have a uh, Marlow review which looks like a, a very cool uh, detective noir mystery it's definitely a change of pace for Liam Neeson who usually does 21st century handgun hunty shooty films and literally nothing else so it'll be nice to see him do something besides run around shoot and punch people and get shot and punched of course those things still might happen but he'll be wearing a cool suit so makes it noir anyway those are just some things that are coming down the pike. And today, I'm going to start off with Puss in Boots. Because most people, they tend to love the Shrek films. And I would agree, I've seen the first couple, they're, they're pretty funny. But the animation has come such a long way since the first Shrek. If you compare the first couple Shrek films, even the later ones... And you put them up next to this um, Puss in Boots film. They're incomparable. The animation was absolutely incredible. And it's something that you have to see in 3D as well. Because the effects, especially in the opening sequence, they're what 3D is all about. They're the only reason that it is still alive. And why people haven't quit on it completely. Sometimes... It's worth paying the extra couple bucks and just to see what they can give you. 
because, well, not to spoil too much, but it's been out a while. I think I'm safe as far as that goes. In the opening sequence, uh, he awakens a, a giant and it runs across the town to attack him, rips a bell out of the bell tower to use as a, uh, like a whip bludgeon. And just the simple fact of the bell flying out of the screen. At the same time, though, that the environment that Puss is running into, the depth of the field, it was pretty incredible. I haven't really seen it done with animation before in 3D, where they not only got the depth right, because people, they're not just watching 3D films to see things come out of the screen at them. They're watching to see more layers and depth within the actual frames. So when they're able to achieve both at the same time, that's how you know innovation's happening. Um, and a lot of time was spent in getting it right. And they, I mean, they had 11 years since the last film. The Puss in Boots 1 was uh, 2011. So with all that extra time, they sure spent it wisely. It looked incredible. And so many sequences were just made better by the animation and all the work they put into it and the 3D effects. So if anyone did not see us in 3D, you saw a great film. But make no mistake, you missed out just a little bit. And um, as far as the story goes, I mean, obviously story stuff is the far more subjective area of any film. It's harder to review for a story, and not necessarily for effects or the framing or the directing. But let me say that uh, the antagonists, some of them were weak. Obviously, it's a kid's show, kid's film. You don't want to scare them too much or show a threat that looks like it can't be defeated ever or have no alleviation of darkness because you need humor to keep a kid's film running. And it has to be good humor, though. And it seems like something that the Shrek writers have always been pretty conscious of. It's not something that you can just marvel your way through with like jokes about what they're doing at that particular moment in time. Like, oh my gosh, I'm holding a tail. That's funny. Or if you're over the age of 30, oh, my back. What am I doing here? This is so funny to have an old person in this action sequence. And by that time, the audience is asleep. And uh, the nerds are pretending to know who's on screen and pretending to care about the post-credits, 1,500 post-credit scenes that roll in. Um, a lot of creators seem to be learning the wrong lesson from Marvel, which is copy them for money. But some are learning the right lesson, which is take a look at just a couple of Marvel films and then you'll see what not to do. And then they apply it to their own work. And whether they do that or not is obviously something that I can't guarantee. 
but it's the impression I get when they make anti-Marvel films. So it's a film that's funny, but it doesn't have a cheap, stupid joke about what they're doing and describing the action to the audience, the, the action the audience already sees over and over, like that new Shazam trailer where he throws a bus at a dragon, and then he says, I just threw a bus at a dragon. Like, yeah. Yeah, we know, buddy. So, some of the villains are obviously more silly. Goldilocks and Three Bears, they were antagonists, sure, for most of it, but they were the comic relief, and they were hilarious. The main one, though, the one that everybody's talking about, and the one that all these YouTubers are making quote-unquote epic versions of his theme song, is The Wolf. Because Puss in Boots did something very bold. They had a direct adaptation of the grim fairy tale version of Death into their film. So... A horrifying, spiky fern. A wolf standing on its hind legs wearing a dark cloak with gleaming, thick, shiny, blood-red eyes and two hooked scythes. Yes, he was pretty horrifying. But on top of that, he's after Puss in Boots because... As the trailers and taglines showed, this is his last life. So, the play on the Cats Have Nine Lives. He's on his uh, ninth and final. So, for the entire film, uh, Death is chasing him. And reminding him that he's about to finally catch up. And finish him for good. So, he was easily... The, the scariest and the most formidable antagonist of the entire film. And his theme was amazing. The wolf whistle theme that they created was very clever and catchy and scary. And um, it gets the hair raising on the back of your neck. It's not just Puss in Boots who's uh, terrified of him. So it was very well done. And the way that Puss in Boots faced off against him at the end. And he chose, I guess, the, the more difficult but, but right route. As opposed to the cowardly easy way out after spending most of the film running. It was a very powerful moment. And it really, uh, it didn't, but it also didn't take away from uh, the power and the fear that and death evokes. It just merely led death to believe that he had no reason to prematurely take Puss in his ninth life. As he tells him, just live your life. Live it well. But you know we're going to meet again. It was ambitious. It was ambitious for a kid's film. It was very done. Well done. can't say a whole lot for his traveling companions um, you know, mostly just comic relief and 
an attempt to continue a romantic subplot from the first film. Kind of gone awry. Didn't work too great, but you can't have everything in a good film. Unless that film's name is Babylon. Now, I don't remember the last time that I've laughed so hard watching a film. Maybe since Beetlejuice for the first time. I'm but definitely in theaters. Cannot remember the last time I was in a movie theater laughing as hard as I was and stomping and just trying to get under control. Babylon was one of the funniest and most unhinged films I've ever seen in my life. It was beautiful too and ambitious, but I think its main charm lied in the fact that it wasn't just uh, wild for the sake of being wild. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of films that are kind of like that. They go on the hard R rating and they want to bring up shock value, but there's a good way to do it. And then there's a, you know, cheap ways to do it. And it's a tough tightrope to walk. There's, there's a million um, wrong ways to do everything that there is one right way to do. So it's always a tough balance, but when the balance is achieved, you have an incredible result. And a lot of the reviews for this film, I think, missed the point of what it was trying to say and do and be. Um, and runtime is becoming an increasing problem for short attention span um, TikTok scrollers these days. They expect everything to be four minutes long at most. And... They just don't have the attention spans or the comprehension to follow along a film for more than an hour or two. And they need their hand held and be dragged through any film they do watch. So they need Marvel movies where the jokes are crap and they all explain the action that's going on on the screen for the audience that can see that action the entire time. And I don't know, it's just a, a very... A very immature and commercial version of uh, movie going. I don't care if you do. Go enjoy it. Kick back for a couple hours, watch Ant-Man. I don't care, but I'm not going to be there, but I don't care if you do. So, but don't let it bleed into the good stuff. I don't want cinema to be influenced or affected by popcorn, um, you know, random, random blockbusters. I would rather there be a good separation between, um, you know, the all the best movies that come out. So Spielberg and Scorsese, they're never going to be making cheap amusement park ride type films. So you won't see them making Black Panther uh, 55 or Captain America 78. They don't make 700,000 sequels and make cheap copies of whatever original that they come up with. And two films last year that I actually really loved were reviewed terribly for dubious reasons. Both Babylon and Amsterdam were both like so clever and funny and had a lot of heart and good drama that you just didn't get from the films last year that, you know, the moneymakers and the tanks.
Top Gun Maverick was just Top Gun again. I didn't even watch the whole thing. But it was that movie that all those uh, rednecks and all the families paid to go see 38 times. So naturally it's getting the Oscar for Oscar noms for things that just awards it didn't deserve because it made a lot of money. But I'll get to those later. What I was trying to say about Babylon here is that it's a, a brand of cinema that is going extinct needs to be rescued and it's a non-blockbuster that needs to be seen on theater screens and after the short ad break um the rest of the babylon review i absolutely loved the humor it was off the wall but it wasn't just crazy madness thrown together as i was saying earlier so the way they get the laughs is the ratcheting up of tension, but in a non-suspenseful way um, in terms of like horror movies or a fear element, but more of just how hard am I going to laugh? Am I going to piss my pants? Am I going to fall out of my chair? It was a tension of how funny is this going to get? And that's not an emotion that I feel in films almost pretty much never. So that was masterful um, writing and execution and acting and an incredible work by the editor and the director and the entire crew on that set. Um, the scene in particular that I'm speaking about is uh, the switch from when these actors, these silent film actors had to learn um, to work with a microphone for the first time and the technology was so fickle and the cameraman had to hide in this uh, completely enclosed box because the cameras were so loud that they would be picked up by the mic so they were in there sweating and literally dying and that was just the first tiny problem yeah the actors missing their spots uh, tape on the floor to line their cues not saying it loud enough, not speaking in the correct direction for the mic to pick it up. Um, using one of the props on the set too loudly. Um, forgetting lines, now they had to memorize all the lines and uh, you got the problem with, for some people, which is just so constantly um, overdone ever since Singing in the Rain is the problem with accents and how some people's voice sounded terrible, even though their looks were fine. And that's just been done over and over and over and over and over again. It's one of the reasons why I hated Downton Abbey too. They just basically thought they were being clever and original by redoing singing in the rain, whatever. Um, but there were just so many reasons why the actor couldn't get the scene right. Someone on the crew sneezed. <laughs> that was the funniest part of the whole scene. Was when someone sneezed. So the set director just completely lost his mind. Um, just everything going wrong at once. And then finally, like, angelic music plays, plays. And these people are able to finally get one usable take. 
of this scene. And they're like crying and praising God and everything. And then the door to the camera box and breaks open. And out tumbles the dead camera operator who the, uh, the set director kept shoving into the box, telling him not to come out. He had a heart attack, a heat stroke. Um, and he's gone. It's just absolutely incredible what they did with these uh, these scenes and how they showed the uh, trajectory in a more realistic light, probably, from uh, the, the excesses and the craziness of silent films era to the same general excesses and craziness of the new era, but more of a evolution also of what kind of rich snob was going to be running Hollywood now compared to the ecosystem that they had before. And that seemed to be another huge point of antagonism for the protagonists as they tried to navigate this new world and figure out their own way to be a part of it or to be cast aside or uh, escape. They all had their own agendas, but I mean, the area and the situations, everything that happened just kept getting more and more insane. You can feel the sense of uh, everything unraveling and getting nuts. So it was, it was an incredible film, incredible story, hilarious, uh, great work of cinema. I mean, we need more like them. I'm very, I feel very privileged that I got to see it on the big screen and thought just kept going through my mind as I watched it from beginning to end, especially with the end um, montage, was that I'm never really going to get to see this film in this way again. They're probably never going to re-release it. You know, I could watch it on a small screen at home, but it's just not the same. And it's, it'll, it would be a real shame if this kind of thing truly does die or gets beat by streaming or just be, goes to streaming. It would be awful. Like, let's make no mistake. Films like these are just... There's no better way to watch them than on a big screen with the huge speakers in a dark room. And if that goes away, it'll be... It'll be tragic, so support your local cinema. Um, support your independent films. Take a fucking break from the 700th Avengers spinoff. I'm sure you can live without knowing exactly how many bad jokes the Ant-Man can make and how he's going to definitely... Uh, win and come out on top and get everything he wants in this new movie because they never lose they never really lose there's no stakes in these films at all you know I'm sure you'll you'll live if you see something better but anyway what's next I'm pretty sure I still owe the Oscars um, some mudslinging one of my first episodes on the podcast ever was <laughs> reacting to them 
and it was after they happened. So obviously everybody was talking about Will Smith beating someone up for no fucking reason. So I'm going to jump ahead of it this time. I'll make a few Oscars predictions. Uh, we'll see if they come true. But first, I'm going to go over some of their nominations, the ones that I really take issue with, and um, see if I can figure out what should have been nominated instead. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure best film... If I'm correct about this, they threw Maverick in there. Like, I don't know how they snuck that in. I'm looking it up now. Of course, I mean, it's for the year 2022, but they technically call it the 2023 Oscars. It's just. It's so stupid. It's like the Super Bowl. Play it in December. I want the 2022 season to be the 2022 season. Not the 2022 with a little bit of 2023 season. Oh, God. Okay. Academy Award for Best Picture. Nominees. 2023. Top Gun Maverick, because it made money. Women Talking. Literally nobody has seen that film. I think a grand total of five people have watched that film. And that's nominated just because Frances McDormand's in it, and I swear she's got to be the sole beneficiary of the Oscars every year at this point. They just nominate her for everything every single year, and she's not even that good. Finally, we get to something that kind of deserves it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. That was insane, but incredible. The Banshees of Sharon, that's the one that really, really should win. It was the best film, easily, of last year. I don't know why. I don't think I did a review on it. There's a lot going on that month, but... For fuck's sake, oh God, hoping. God, praying that it wins. Um, I will do a full breakdown on that. Next one up, Triangle of Sadness. Don't know what that is. The Fablemans. I didn't watch it. But it looked good. All Quiet on the Western Front. Another war movie. Skipping that. Avatar, just because it made money. Elvis, just because it's a biopic. And Tar. No idea what that is. Yeah, so what's missing here? <laughs> what's missing? Um, Babylon's missing. Amsterdam is missing. Uh, the Batman is missing. And superhero movies, I mean, they, they usually don't get best picture. But Spielberg is right to say that in 2008, The Dark Knight was really snubbed. It was easily the best picture. But this year, the, uh, I mean, putting Batman in here, I'm not too worried about best picture. What pisses me off are the nominees for Best Cinematography. This was an all-time snub. Absolute all-time snub. 
Yeah, Tar. Nobody watched it. Okay. Empire of Light. I'm pretty sure only the director and the editor of that film saw that. Nobody watched it. And why is Elvis in here? Bardo. Nobody watched that. All Quiet on the Western Front is because it is a... Oh, God, just because it's a war film. The work that Greg Fraser did on the Batman and the technology that he innovated and his cinematography on that film just barred none. Nobody even came halfway close to having his quarter of a good of a screen and of a frame and of a shot than he did in several points throughout that film. Greg Frazier and Matt Reeves were heavily, heavily snubbed for the incredible work they did just because Batman is in the title. I don't disagree with the Oscars avoiding, you know, crappy Disney knockoffs or uh, stupid Shazam movies. I'm not saying like all Marvel and DC films should be getting more nominations. But when they have an exception, when they have an incredible noir detective story that looks incredible and blows everything else that year out of the water, you're so, you know, they deserve to be recognized even if it's just a fucking nomination and you want to do it for show and then give the win to some, you know, foreign film that nobody saw, that's fine. But give them the recognition they deserve at least. Like nominating Top Gun for all the categories that Batman was better in is just insulting to everyone who did a much better job than everyone who did anything on Top Gun. It's just very insulting. Just because it made more money, you, you throw the nominations at it. Same for Avatar. Maybe special effects. Maybe. Like, it should get the Oscar nomination for the most water in a film in 2022. Oscar nomination for the film that, you know, had the most built-in bathroom breaks. Sure. But not best cinematography. Not best picture. So, these these nominations are a joke. And, um... Based on the ratings each year, the award show is also becoming more and more of a joke. So, a few predictions I'm going to make for the upcoming festivities. And uh, after the award show is over, the next day I'll Google it to see how many I got right. Because, I mean, I have no intention of wasting my time watching State of the Unions or um, Oscar ceremonies. So, one of the predictions is, I see it very likely that Sam Smith comes out looking like a fat ham. They might tie him up and wheel him out onto the stage. Like some of the videos that I saw online after the Grammys. So that's prediction number one. Um, prediction number two. Somebody's going to come out and sing Elvis. Just, it's going to happen. You're going to have old people in the crowd and watching. Nobody watches these things. 
nobody watches cable anymore except old people. So, you know, you got to play to the crowd, I guess. So Elvis is going to be sung somehow, somewhere by somebody. Um, the night of the show on stage. They had Eminem a couple of years ago, so why not? Third prediction. This one, these are actually hard. Because you're wondering how low they'll stoop, how dumb they'll get. But you don't want to be too good. <laughs> I don't want to be too right, because then it'll happen. Um... No, I mean, well, here's a prediction, though. Third prediction. Nobody's going to slap anybody else on stage. I think they're all too scared to do that now. Career suicide. Well, semi-suicide. He'll go on Oprah, he'll apologize and cry, and he'll be let back, but... You know. So those are my three predictions. I'm mostly naked... Tied up Sam Smith is going to come waddling out onto the stage. Someone somewhere is going to sing Elvis or do an Elvis presentation. And nobody's going to smack anyone else, at least on camera, at least on stage. I can't guarantee what these cokeheads are going to do, you know, off camera or at the after party, before the party. Um, all I know is we should but won't have Ricky Gervais there tearing them all apart, so it's frankly not going to be worth watching. But it's always good to remind people that, you know, cinema is not something that can be trophied out, and no matter how much they try to gatekeep, uh, the Academy Awards have zero authority anymore, and never should have anyway, but... The more you guys support A24 and indie producers and editors and directors and writers, uh, the better the art form is going to get, because the more you'll be able to tug away from these terrible um, knockoff versions of cinema and blockbusters that have been polluting the airwaves. And kind of ruining uh, each generation's interpretation of what film even is. And the sooner we take the um, sooner we take the road less traveled or the right one, we'll stop looking down at the path of, re of least resistance and taking that. And I mean, I just hope it improves. I, I hope the art form is able to survive the storm. COVID kind of had a an almost permanent dent into the average audience per screen. But we'll see how that plays out over the course of a good number of years. I'm predicting it can make almost a full recovery. Problem is, if ticket prices are going to be hiked up artificially we're going to have a big problem and there's kind of a tug of war right now on, on who can treat their customers worse so if AMC raising prices up on the middle sections of their theaters that's going to be a disaster you have people paying more for seats that 
are clustered against a bunch of other people. And then if those people are rowdy or, you know, talkative, you have a bunch of people coming out from the middle of the theater, your premium seats, and requesting more expensive refunds than in the past because they paid 25 bucks for this stupid seat in the middle of the theater. And Joe Schmo on either side of him is screaming and laughing and smelling horrible the whole time and dropping their food on them and spilling their drinks. So that's your first problem. Your second problem is the uh, classism and the elitism that's going to start um, inevitably happening. And then you're going to have to hire more ushers to enforce the seating and the pricing, make sure everybody's sitting where they're supposed to and helping people find their seats when they need it. So that's going to be cute and fun. I don't think the money they're going to make from those tickets is going to be enough to cover those ushers. And then also, you're going to have the issue where people are buying their tickets and during the process they see that the good seats are that much more expensive. They're going to go back to the beginning of the process say, oh, well, I don't want to pay extra for this stupid seat. Give me something in the, the back or more towards the front or off to the side. You have to redo the entire transaction. But congratulations, AMC. You've played yourself. Not like Netflix is any better. Now they're not letting people share, even though they make more than enough money. They're raking billions of dollars hands over fist. But they're greedy. They're greedy. So Netflix is seeing how much it can abuse its customers and keep them from sharing passwords. And also, you have to have your account anchored to a certain Wi-Fi every 31 days or else it locks you out. So good luck, travelers. Hope you enjoy your constantly shutting down Netflix because you travel for your job or for leisure or like holidays. Fucking hell, maybe you just wanted to go somewhere. Good luck. It's getting to the point where nobody's going to want to be streaming either. And honestly... Uh, Blu-rays and 4Ks might make a huge resurgence. It might become cheaper at this point to just go back to the old way. And if you liked a movie or if you're interested in seeing a movie, you wait till the DVD comes out. You wait till it gets discounted, and then you buy it and you watch it. If you didn't like it, you sell it. People aren't going to want to stream. They're not going to want to go to the movies. They're not going to want to buy digitally or anything. They're just a rent. They're going to get sick of all this shit, and they're going to find the simplest and cheapest way to watch their films and do it. And for a lot of people, that's going to be pirating. So, congratulations to everyone who was already making enough money, everyone who was already attempting to recover theaters and streaming for just destroying the one thing you had going for you. So there's a topic I didn't realize I was going to hit. But it's very timely. So congratulations, folks. You heard um, my perspective on the AMC ticket hike debacle. And Netflix's recent crackdown on um, sharing and subscribers so the more people cancel the more they'll get the message 
the fewer people go to AMC, the sooner they'll get that message. Use your wallets wisely, because they get the shit taxed out of them anyway. And I think that'll do it for this episode. Stay tuned, there's going to be a lot more coming. I'm going to review Vox Machina, I'm going to review Lord of the Rings Amazon, um, maybe rant about it, kind of like the DC one, I don't know. But those are coming down the pike, Cocaine Bear is coming out, uh, Marlowe is coming out, and the D&D movie is going to be March 31st. So maybe I'll make my April Fool's episode this year a review of that one. That should be fun. Especially after their uh, their recent attempt to destroy their consumers and their customers. But they did a full 180. And that's the difference. I don't think AMC and Netflix and other abusive companies are going to do a full 180. But at least for all of its faults and for all of its uh, stupidity... Hasbro at least saw the, the the half of a lick of common sense to reverse their OGL madness and just give us an even stronger one than before. So the creators and the consumers uh, spoke up very strongly on that one, and they won. Like you can beat multi-billion to multi-trillion dollar corporations. You just have to take away the one thing that they care about, which is your money. That's it. They don't care about your opinion your kids or nothing. If they care about your money, take it away, then they'll do whatever they can to get it back. That's it. Alright. Until next time, keep watching, folks. Uh, and remember, that's life. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains Within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turn my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light That split the night And touched the sound of silence And in the naked light Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without listening People writing songs That voices never share No one dared Disturb the sound Silence, fool said I, you do not know Silence like a cancer grows Hear my words that I might teach you Take my arms that I might reach you But my words, like silent raindrops fell
Silence. 